This is Academes, a podcast about women in academia, living the dream, or are we? Before we get started, we want to thank five of our new patrons. One of our bonuses to new patrons is that we read their names on air during an episode. We've had lots of new patrons since we launched the program, so we're going to start by reading five in each upcoming episode. In the first five patrons that we're going to give on-air shout-outs to are Nikki Goodsmith, Roger Ping, and he helpfully gave us a pronunciation, as in penguin, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Um, Becca Krukowski, Bree Reed, and Michaela Jorgensen. And Michaela's from Sydney, Australia, and requested a shout out to all the international listeners. Thank so you, international, international listeners. listeners. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey. Hi, Sarah. Um, so we talked about how we should start this episode and I wanted you to start by asking me, how are you? Which I thought was really funny. And you and Mira were like, mm, because I thought like, you'd say, how are you? And then I'd say, Sarah, like, haven't you read all the think pieces on Twitter to know that you shouldn't be asking black people that right now? Because the answer is that we are bad. We are very, very, very bad. Um, because yeah, like the world is on fire and people are getting murdered in the streets. Um, so yeah, we are kind of bad, but, um, you were like, maybe I won't start that way. And I was like, you're a smart lady. (laughs) Yeah. I, um, I thought it, I, I totally understand the, the dark humor in that, but also felt like too soon. (laughs) <laughs> um, couldn't do that um, and pretend like that's funny because I'm just not there yet. Um, yeah. But I get it. And I also understood your um, desire to like, this is a long game. And y- if you can't laugh, if it's got to be like all serious all the time, how are you going to survive? And I get that. Maybe we should situate ourselves in time for our listeners. It's mm-hmm. June 3rd. 2020 and the past week has been hellish um it included the video captured strangulation in broad daylight of a man in minneapolis and um that was after a week of a lot of other like racial assaults like brianna taylor you know killed by police sleeping in her home and Ahmaud Arbery and Christian Cooper, you know, somebody threatening police violence implicitly against him. And, you know, like I did watch some of um, the video um, of George Floyd being murdered. Like, and I usually wouldn't, cause I think, you know, watching murder porn, like, like watching 
like somebody literally be killed it's just kind of gruesome and ghoulish mm. um but i think that like at an already bad time like that was a turning point for me like after having watched that like mm. everything's kind of like descended into chaos in some ways in my personal world and I feel like in the space of that week from when we first started talking about this episode to now like so much has happened I mean like this murders and then protests and as a public health professional worried about the people protesting and then seeing the police response to the protests and more violence being on them and like the destruction to our cities and this narrative from the highest branches of our government to like vilify these people who are protesting and who know that they're doing something that's putting their lives in danger because they're wearing masks and they're trying to think about harm reduction and they're like even though i know this is dangerous this is so important too um and I felt like I've seen some good articles that really try to lay it out, like what it's like to be black right now. Cause it's like, there's already COVID, which has been awful for everybody. It's a global pandemic. It mm. has like shut down the economy, shut down social support networks, re uh, like altered everything about work, so much about our kids' lives, like already horrible. Then there's the disproportionate um infections and deaths for indigenous people latinx people black people so like more people we know are dying also last week the first person in my immediate family that i know of had covid mm. and you know her husband was hospitalized mm. and you know i was talking to her and she's like 68 years old mm. and she was at home alone trying to recover from this disease mm. and the thing she was telling me from her doctor i'm like well did they tell you to use a you know, pulse oximeter and check your oxygen. And she's like, no. And so like, I'm on Amazon trying to like send medical equipment to somebody I love because mm. I feel like she's not getting mm. care. Why, why are we in America in 2020 and this beautiful person is not being well cared for? And why am I like trying to ship something through Amazon to her? Oh, Whitney. <laughs> so it's like there's this awful pandemic there's an awful federal response so it's like raging through our world and our nation in a way it shouldn't be and as a public health professional I know how bad the response is and I know how bad it could get so I have to sit with that sit with like just seeing the disproportionate impact on communities I love and people I love and then like the very personal impacts like I know people like people we know who have like had relatives die of this like it's just real and then there's this awful violence by people who are supposed to protect us and I think what was most chilling was just how like ordinary it seemed like this was in broad daylight mm. and there were like four police officers and this officer he knew he was being filmed there were bystanders and they were saying, you know, like he's dying. He's like crying out for his life. Mm. 
and it was just like clockwork. Like the paramedic came and checked his pulse and he was dead and it just didn't even, he didn't even seem shocked. And they loaded him up and they took him to a hospital and some doctor somewhere signed off that he died in that hospital. And he didn't die on that hospital. He died in that street. It's just, it's such a system of complicity and brutality. Like it's not just one bad person. It's like a whole system of people all the way up to like the doctor who gave that bullshit type of death. Mm-hmm. Um, and also this is some of my work. So I've been, you know, doing my normal work. Plus I've been doing COVID work and now I'm doing like another kind of work. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many things about this that are about stigmatizing the health of Black people and narratives about the biological inferiority, both like the scariness, because like even in the police report about the officer killing George Floyd, they're like, well, George Floyd was over six feet tall and weighed 200 pounds as if his size justifies murdering him. Like, my husband is over six feet tall. Like, you can't just kill somebody because they're black and you feel scared because they're too big. And then like, oh, he had underlying conditions and it's the same bullshit that you hear about COVID when people are like, why are we dying so much? It's like, oh, you're just sick. And it's just the same story, the same story about treating people in awful ways and then blaming them. And then, like, being worried about people protesting and, like, like people infiltrating the protest to try to get the protesters in more danger. And just the destruction and the chaos and the response, again, like, a bad response to the pandemic, a bad response to the protests. And there have been times it just felt hopeless. But also, like, you know, you have to keep going. I have to keep going, you know, for my family and my children and, you know, my job. Because my job doesn't care. You know, you still need to bring in grants, do your papers. So one thing that is a lot like COVID, kind of our COVID campus series, like we talked about um, how the experience of COVID is so different. And I know you were like really bad at the beginning because we'd get these emails from senior people being like, this is so great. Like, it's such a great time to like catch up and write some extra papers. And like we talked about that people are just living this totally different reality. Like, you know, somebody's like trying to do a full-time job at home and like taking care of small children and homeschooling them and also like worried about their mom in a nursing home. And like, you know, like they have this reality that is just chaos and awful. And then there's somebody who's like, you know, well off and they have a spacious home and a nice yard and, you know, they don't have kids and they're like, oh, this is just great and relaxing. And they send out these awful tone deaf messages mm-hmm. that are like, oh, this is so great. And like, I think this is week 13 in our COVID campus series. And so I think now in week 13, I think that people are onto that. Like, do you feel like the really tone deaf COVID emails have slowed down? Yes. Although now with the reopening, I feel like there's a different kind. Like, oh, we're back in business. It's oh, yeah. great. So maybe it just starts again. And so when you were t- 
it sounded like you were drawing a parallel between just basically people not being able yes. to identify with each other's experiences. Yeah. So I was going to draw it back to like what it's like to think both in the context of this racial violence, because like, I just feel like there are just people who are having totally different experiences. So there's a lot of memes on Twitter, like what to do when your white colleagues like email you. And so there's different kinds of like messages. Like some of them are like, the how are you thing like from friends where you're like I'm bad don't really want to go into it but then there's another thing where people are just like emailing me like nothing's happening like oh like somebody emailed me and they're like oh I haven't heard from you like you must be busy like writing you know a supplement or something like everybody else I know and I'm like nope not busy writing supplement, busy trying to survive, trying to be a resource to a community center, trying to do harm reduction work in my community, trying not to like cry when I think about like my children and their friends and worrying about, you know, sending medical supplies to my, you know, relatives who have COVID. Like, no, I'm not like, you know, working on my grant deadline. I am like literally trying to make it through the day and contending with a background of a fear of utter personal and national catastrophe. So w one thing I'll say about the analogy that I think is important to distinguish is that um, the tone deaf emails from people who just have no idea what uh, uh, um, like that some people ha are caring for children, young children are worried about their parents or grandparents in nursing homes what, or whatever, just not being able to identify. Um, the, the difference is, is that even if they can't identify with that experience in this moment, they might have experienced something similar previously or they have lived in a tiny apartment at some point in their lives, maybe. I have never worried about my husband going for a run. I will never know what that feels like. And that's an important difference. Because I can't ever understand your experience. Not, not in the way that you do. It's hard because it like I appreciate saying that and that's like an acknowledgement and that's like I am trying to empathize and I am realizing that I have not felt this but I also want to feel some hope that like there can be some empathy and we can bridge this because otherwise I mean what are we gonna do so I think about that a lot so that's like the macro <laughs> in which I've like approached this moment but I've also been thinking about kind of the micro personal experiences that I bring into this context that have made it challenging. And so like we talked about our word of the year, did you set a word of the year for 2020? No. no okay. <laughs> um, mine was boundaries. And so I've been really working that. on that. Yes. And, you know, I've been working with my therapist. I had had a therapist I really liked that I left her to go to somebody who was physically closer to me. And then when this started, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so it's all telehealth anyway. So I'm back to my original therapist and we're doing great work. Mm -hmm. um, and so like with the year of boundaries, 
also like my position as until recently the only black tenure stream faculty in my department had really become more prominent so like we at academics sometimes we'll do interviews on background and we had done an interview on background um with a white researcher who does health equity stuff and you know after talking to dr rena and hearing what she said i asked this person like what do you think about like all white teams have you ever had all white teams and the person was like yes and kind of defensive and kind of like i think my teams are fine and you know like just some reasons and it kind of punched me in the gut because I think one of the things I've talked about is feeling kind of like isolated as an academic and to hear this person directly defend these like all white teams when doing health equity research on black and other populations I was like, oh, this is not like an oversight. This is not a problem that's going to fix itself. Like this is entrenched. And this person is like a very liberal person, like one of the more liberal white people I know and has committed a career to health equity. And but just was like, nope, it's fine. Uh, there would be no value in like diversifying my team. And, you know, I had to sit with that like after we recorded that, it was just something on background that we never used and are never going to use, but it made me really step back and think about my professional life and to really start counting and realize like the only people who had invited me to be on research grants in my institution were a Chinese American woman, a Latina woman, a duo of a Latina woman and a black woman. And then there was actually a black man from my husband's institution, which is a different institution. And I'm like, oh, this is not a coincidence. And it really made me step back and think about, okay, like, what do I do with this information? Um, and so I'm grateful that I've kind of built my own research program, but it was hard to do that. And I feel like I shouldn't have had to do it. Um, and I know other people have, you know, also not a lot of collaborators. I commiserate with some white colleagues about it, but usually they have somebody who like, oh, this person gave me this part of their research program or this. And I'm not a prideful person, but I've kind of just built a research program myself, basically with Cammie, who's like my contemporary. Like we, we built this. I like wrote the fellowship funds and for the pilot grant funds in the hospital with my five-year-old when I was hospitalized for two months. Like I was like writing the pilot funds that led to my current work. Like, you know, like I'm somebody, I was raised by People were born in Northern Mississippi and Alabama in the 50s. Like I was never brought up to think life was fair. And I was brought up to think you just work hard. You'd be the best. You keep moving. Don't expect people to, you know, like really care about you. <laughs> but you just do your best and like, you know, it'll be enough. And I was like, maybe it's not enough. Like maybe even when I'm doing such good work, like Sarah, I'm really smart. Like, I, I, am, I am really good at what I do. Mm. I, 
I, I bring it. Like people who work on projects <laughs> with me, they are like, this is like impressive. And like, like you ask me like, we're good. And I see people doing these health equity projects and their theory is bad and their methods aren't good. And they're just producing the same old stuff. And I don't know, like, yeah. So this is all going on. And then at some point I got asked to do this new service commitment for the fall, um, multi-year commitment. And I really pushed back. I pushed back because I've been seeing a therapist and this is the year of boundaries. And also like, nobody's gonna take care of me. I have to raise a certain proportion of my money for grants because that's the environment I'm in and I have to do it by myself. And I'm coming up against a funding cliff. So I have a five-year grant, I'm about to start year four. It takes a couple years to get an R01. So like, I need to write. And if I don't write, nobody's writing for me. Like, I have mm -hmm. to do this. Mm -hmm. um, so I really pushed back and I said, you know, like, I, I can't take on this commitment. Like, if, if I'm going to be able to keep up my funding, like, I have to be able to write this year. And we kept going back and forth. And I was talking to my therapist. And I was like, you know, they keep saying to me, like, oh, well, everybody's having to sacrifice. Everybody's having to do more. And I see it, especially among the women. Like, honestly, the senior white women in mm -hmm. my department are doing so much mm -hmm. <laughs> compared to the men. <laughs> like, I see it. I see them. Um, and they are. Like, they are doing a lot. And that's its own story. Um, but I was saying to my therapist, but, like, there is a special challenge of being and only in general, and being an only where like you are really having to support yourself, you know, along with the tiny proportion of other faculty of color in your university. Um, and so my therapist is so practical. Like we talked it through and she said, what would it be like to be honest with this person about like what it's like in your position and what the stakes are and why this request especially could really sink you that it would have a unique impact on you mm. as a black faculty member and we kind of talked it through and that was actually good and I was like you know I, I can be honest about that like I can try to put that out there and usually I wouldn't because white people get very defensive when you mention race mm. or mm. white privilege and I usually don't bring it up because it doesn't do me any good and it just makes them defensive and then angry at me, you know? So it just like backfires. And so I'm like, what's the point of this? So usually I just, my strategy is just to kind of move ahead, not bring it up. So it hadn't really occurred to me to say something, but I'm like, maybe I'll say something because this really is like a big deal to me. Um, and so, you know, I did, I reiterated why it's, bad and that I understand everybody needs to pitch in also like I do a lot like mm -hmm. I I you know do it with a smile like when I was going into labor with August like literally I was in labor and I knew I was have to go to the birthing center soon and like I pulled out my phone to text the admissions committee because <laughs> I was on the effing admissions committee even though I was having a baby in the middle of admission season to be like um you know like I know we have a meeting tomorrow and like these are the you know ones you should move forward like you know I'm a that, team player that's the extra mile <laughs> yeah I'm willing to go the extra mile. Like, I'm having contractions. But I'm, like, you know, trying to make sure I fulfill my commitments. 
Um, and so I said, you know, like, it's, it's not the same. And I won't go into the details of the response. Like, it was about what I expected. I mean, there's just this defensiveness. There's just, and that's a whole nother topic. Well, I, I, if I may ask a question about that, because that I have heard the defensiveness I have heard, um, not myself, but in, with respect to, um, the extra burden for black faculty, I have heard defensiveness pretty recently. Um, <laughs> like today. <laughs> it might have been today. <laughs> um, and I, this is going to be like such a classic Sarah question because I'm going to, it's going to take me 85 seconds to pull my brain together to ask you this question. But well, how about this? What would have been an ideal response? If you could have scripted his response, what would he have said in response to your very open and authentic, hey, here's why? I think sometimes, I think kind of a tell me more. And I think later there was a tell me more, but that was not the initial response. Like, huh, I had not thought about that. Like, can you tell me more? Mm -hmm. Like, if somebody's presenting information that you've never considered, and you're a scientist, like, wouldn't you want to know more? Mm -hmm. Instead of, I mean, you shouldn't argue with the person. Like, you should, like, like when... (laughs) You know, when people white explain to you and you're like, this is what it's like to be black here. And they're like, nope, you're wrong. <laughs> like, I mean, that's not the right reaction. And just that's a general kind of response. Or like, you misinterpreted that or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe an openness to like, this person actually has a perspective I don't, an experience I don't. And also, this person is taking a huge risk coming to me with this mm-hmm. because I know that most black people who bring these issues are met with extreme defensiveness and sometimes retaliation. Mm-hmm. And at the least kind of like people are uncomfortable and they don't want to be around people who make them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so recognizing like this person is taking a huge risk of being vulnerable with me. And I am grateful for that. So maybe like, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for showing up and like telling me something that I didn't know that could help me be better at my job and enable you to be better like tell me more and like you know let's continue this conversation that seems immensely reasonable and productive and actually the thing that was good about working on boundaries is that the response didn't matter because I had done so much work with my therapist. This is also the payoff of therapy. Like, you know, we talked it through and I'm like, I am actually clear about what I want to say and just saying it in and of itself, like it was freeing, irrespective of the response. Mm -hmm. And so I think going forward and thinking about boundaries, especially about thinking about boundaries in this time, I want to do more of that. I want to be more forthright and more honest. And also like I have tenure. 
I mean, the think about the students right now or the people okay. in contingent faculty positions who are so scared because like budgets are crazy. They're cutting like people are so precarious. We're already so precarious. So like, yeah, I don't even have to add on top of that precarity. I don't even have to add on top of that, like loss of income. I don't even have to add on that, like, you know, not having childcare. So yeah, it's been a lot and I am like so angry um, and I'm just like embracing it. And this is funny because I'm like, among my friends, I'm often the least angry. And I had a friend, and we were talking about something, and I was just so angry. And she's like, I love this side of you. <laughs> <laughs> but it has been nice. Like, I've had some great, like, texts and phone calls with a lot of Black faculty and friends. And it's nice because we don't have to explain it to each mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. Like, and when they ask me, how are you? I'm like, mm, generally shitty. And they're like, yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, and there are all these, I am assembling all these links to respond to like emails and texts from other people. Because yeah, like the how are you messages are awful. Like how many, so like imagine having one of the worst years of your life and just getting a bunch of texts and people being like, how are you? Like what are you going to say? <laughs> it reminds me of actually being in the hospital with Lou when my water broke at 22 weeks and I thought I was going to have like a second trimester miscarriage. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were some people who were so generous and wonderful, but some people would be like texting and like asking me questions, like intimate questions. And I'm like, hello, like, like I'm just supposed to be here to sate their curiosity. Mm. I'm like, this is not the time and I'm not going to keep responding to your text because I have to go take care of myself and like try to gestate this baby. (laughs) So it kind of reminds me of that um, and other things. I am kind of, I also have added an email signature that's like some links to articles about this phenomenon because I think people are still figuring it out because mm-hmm. like we're in COVID campus week 13 and maybe like <sighs> democracy explodes and civil society explodes in the United States week one or two. So people are still figuring out the rules. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What can I can I ask you? Um, as somebody who isn't black, what if any? Maybe the answer is none. Engagement feels good to you from white friends and colleagues. Sarah Birkin, somebody in my life, rolled up to my house. <laughs> dropped a lovely gift basket on my porch, drove away in her car, and then texted to say, I left a gift basket on your porch. Bye. (laughs) That was Sarah Birkin. (laughs) And it was really nice. And there's a beautiful plant, and there were, like, sweets, and there was, like, banana bread mix, and, you know, drinks. Louis took what he wanted. Yeah. That I slipped a little in for Billy. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, this is it, for me. He's like, Sarah knows me too. <laughs> Louie and I love a good beer. Um, nice. so, so, but for friends and colleagues who don't have your address, I mean, is there, because I, I will say that part of my, you know, 
in a perverse way, thank God for Twitter, because it <laughs> has taught me a lot. Like it probably would have been my inclination to say, how are you? Or to reach out and be like, what can I do? Which with some education, I knew not to do. Um, but it did take education. And um, I, if we, if I didn't know where you lived and I couldn't just drop off a gift, gift basket, like have, I mean, there's people who just sent me notes to be like, like, I'm thinking about you. This mm -hmm. sucks. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's nice. No expectation of a response. Like yeah. people yeah, expect yeah, you yeah. to like have to yeah. respond. Like that's nice. Mm -hmm. um, and just colleagues who just pick things up, like colleagues who yeah. are like, you know, they're like, let me do this. Mm -hmm. You know, like, let me take this one. Mm -hmm. um, there have been like group messages where people are like, oh, let's put out a statement. And I'm like, I cannot engage with this because some of the statements are so bad. Mm. And, you know, like white colleagues who were like, actually, like, I think we should not say that. And maybe we should say this, you know, and those are people who have kind of researched like what actually would be a good statement or not. And they're doing that work. And, mm. you know, like there was somebody recently who did that and I wrote to her and I'm like, I see you. Like, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I mean, cookies are always nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and people like doing reading and like you know like even i've seen some facebook groups they're like how can i make sure that i don't raise the next amy cooper and i'm like thank you like people are starting these like groups like reading groups like you know how can i really think about my position as a white person in society and be anti-racist and like let's all get together and figure this out people and i'm like that's nice mm-hmm Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. You mentioned um, in the notes that you wrote about how August had a terrible night's sleep. <laughs> and awful. I mean, like, you know, Ben and I have talked about how could the world implode more? And honestly, the way is to have a baby not sleeping well. He was so, and he's a very happy baby, but he was just, he was inconsolable. Like Louis mm -hmm. used that word and I didn't see that text from Louis until later. And that's mm -hmm. the word I would use. Just like, he didn't want to be held. He didn't want to eat just the normal things. You know, I'm like, let's change your diaper. Let's try this. Let's do that. And he just, he just was inconsolable. And he just, you know, didn't even want to be in my arms. Mm. And he's just on the floor. Like he's just, he's just like, <sighs> like, ah. I cannot make this go away. I cannot make this feel better. And so at one point I was in the dark with him just watching, like I couldn't do anything. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he didn't want to be held, whatever. And I'm just watching him on the floor, just like, uh, just crying with all his little heart and just inconsolable. And I was like, yeah, kid. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. I feel you. He did eventually fall asleep. He woke up a couple more times and Louis handled it. And then, it, I mean, it was a whole saga. Last night was hard. <laughs> but yeah, I was, I just felt for my little baby. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Is this, this is, is this a good episode? Yes. <laughs> yes. 
we haven't even talked about we'll talk another time we haven't even talked about like what's gonna happen in the fall <laughs> like <laughs> let's not talk about that right now because we've got so i i mean yes i feel very grateful to be the first one to hear you talk um and also i i we we talked at the top of this kind of before we even started recording about you know um how i w- wanted to take a back seat to just be able for for you to just talk and you said it's probably good modeling and i think that's true yeah just for you know, it's okay for not even the first stage, but whenever just to listen. Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't know how much you were joking about August, like being inconsolable being like a microcosm of how you feel, but it occurred to me, he probably does feel the horrible stress that you and Louie are under. No, I hope not. Well, how is Lou? He's actually pretty good. Oh, so one interesting thing. So I was listening to the radio and it was just NPR. So it's not like, you know, really heated. But he was like, what are they talking about? And it's about the protests. And so I was talking to him, but I'm like, well, you know, this person did this thing and people are protesting against it because they want justice. And, you know, I, I kind of talked about it. And he's so funny. He's five. And he usually really likes listening to podcasts. And so I explained it and he took it in. And he was like, mm, I don't want to listen to this one anymore. And I said, mm. why not? He's like, it's not fun. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> not fun <laughs> words were never spoken and like he really gets stuff like he really absorbs stuff and so i'm glad to be able to have conversations with him he also like this new question is when this coronavirus is going to be over mm. so i'm like he's great but like he's living through trauma <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like maybe so his birthday is in november and i'm like we're probably not going to have a birthday party this year and i'm like but you know, maybe coronavirus will be over by the time you turn seven. And so, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Look on your face. Try to keep it real. You got to keep it real with kids. <sighs> yeah. We might do a summer birthday party. Like, we might try to do, Susan's last year pre-K, like, some kind of party, like, in July or something. Like a pre-makeup birthday party. So I have to ask you another, if it's okay with you, another question about when you were talking about the person who was interviewed, who talked about not basically being defending the exclusion of black researchers Mm -hmm. on the study team. And as I heard you talk about that, it, it sounds to me very baked in and I can't think 
I'm probably just projecting onto you because my reaction to that is just burn it all down. <laughs> the Sarah Birkin story. <laughs> and so my question for you is, does that push you into burn it, burn it all down? Okay. So you've gotten angry. So that's, yeah, it's pushed you know. me into like more boundaries. Like it makes me, it makes me less likely to just go along with things. And in some ways it makes the stakes clearer. So like the pushback on this new ask, like I really held my ground because mm-hmm. I'm like, look, nobody's coming to save me. Mm-hmm. Nobody's coming to fund me. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. Um, so I think it's made me clearer. It's probably, it's probably hardened me some, but really appreciative of like the people I do work with because I work with some amazing people. And, you know, I've, I've forged that. Um, but, yeah, not burn it all down because it's not, it's actually good. Because, I mean, I've gotten this far in the Academy, so it's, like, not, like, a totally new idea. But I think just, like, how deep-seated it is mm-hmm. and widespread. And it just also felt personal because, like, you know, I could have been a Black collaborator there you know, mm-hmm. so it felt very personal. Um, but there actually is a study and we should link it like a really good study. It's beautiful, like work about NIH funding. So we get a lot of funding from the NIH and they're like, you know, why are black scientists less likely to be funded? And they do this beautiful thing where they like um, do this cluster analysis of all the different topics NIH funds. And they're like, there are some topics that are just less likely to be funded. Racial disparities, community-based work. Like they list all these things. And like the lowest topic group likely to be funded is like topics char- characterized by the word fertility, ovary, gynecologic. We don't need to know about those things. We don't need to know about those things. Like it's the least likely to be funded. Definitely not likely? for black people. Yeah. So it's like all the things that are least likely to be funded you're, like, you're right in the sweet spot. I'm right in the sweet spot. And then also even controlling for that, like, so these topics are just generally a, across the board less likely to be funded. So then even if you control for that, and then you look at black researchers and non-black researchers and like control for like the CV and publication record and everything, the black researchers doing that work are still even given the topic less likely to be funded. And in a way I love that work because I'm like, okay, I'm not crazy. Because that's the thing. Usually you kind of say, like, it seems like it's kind of hard for me to be a Black faculty member. And people are like, no, <laughs> like, you misunderstand. Like, it's not. And so I actually really love these studies <laughs> that are, like, really rigorous and are like, no, it is not your imagination. There's another really good one about innovation and how um, minority scientists, really impactful, innovative ideas are undersighted and underrecognized. And that's another one. I'm going to start passing around to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. I think it was good. I think it was just like, uh, I'm 40 now. Also, I turned 40. This is all happening. Like we're in a pandemic. I turned 40. Like maybe this was just all due. And I'm like, it's just time to get real. I'm in the middle of my life. I think I'm in the prime of my career. Like it is what it is. Like I, I am, you know, I think I was a good mentee and I was trained to try to please my superiors, but like, I have to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. And I have to build my own community. And I've done that in a lot of ways. And like, you know, like, it's just good to be like, okay, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm not crazy. Yeah.
Well, so I want to, so Mara texted both of us before and thanked you for doing this. Yeah. And you're already carrying, carrying a lot and doing a lot. And for you to be open and honest um, in the midst of all that is really um, selfless. So thank thank you. Are we going to count how many times we cry? (laughs) We shouldn't. I was trying to get through it without (laughs) my voice breaking. Like five times. Um, I hope this could help somebody. I love our listeners and like a joy of the Patreon is getting to really even get to know them better. And just the people who are supporting this work, like we love you and thanks for loving us and for responding to us trying to be super vulnerable, sharing our messiness and just doing it so that you know you're not alone, that we can navigate this together that we can produce such amazing like scholarship and knowledge and help each other because this is important. Yeah. And um, I, I feel like we've got a lot more to dig into, um, but I, I want to acknowledge, I got um, an email from somebody today a student not not at my institution but I know her through a professional organization and um but to the the your previous point about vulnerability um this is going to be really hard I I just I guess I want to shout out to our student listeners in particular because I feel like um in, in the way that you are setting boundaries, Whitney, um, you know, I'm all, all about boundaries. I, <laughs> I, I put up a boundary before there's even an ask. I'm just like, I don't have time for you. I don't, I can't. Um, but, um, especially within the past week I have, um, I think it has a, it probably has a little bit to do with this is my 40th year too. And, uh, yeah. Like, I, I don't have time for people who are not willing to open their minds. And I had a student email me and say that she's really afraid to do that because for her mm-hmm. career, for the sake of her career. Um, and yeah. I, I get it. So I hope that Whitney, you're w- continuing to be willing to share your thoughts and your expertise and we can continue to have conversations so that we can think of ways to help people be authentic and, and succeed. Yeah. And I, I do like special shout out to like students, anybody who's in a precarious position, anybody who's entering the job market in this like dumpster fire of a year. Um, like we, we see you mm-hmm. and, yeah okay all right thank you Whitney thank you Sarah 
Academes was produced by Sarah Birkin, Mara Bookbinder, and me, Whitney Robinson. Our editors include Jeremiah Murphy and Miriam Oak. We get administrative support from Val Hooker and Miriam Oak. Our artwork is by Melissa Hudgens at Leafy Greens Design. And we've received funding from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hills Carolina Women's Center and the Wisdom Initiative. If you'd like to donate to help with the podcast's ongoing operations, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Thank you. Hey. Hey. <laughs> um, so Wait, I'm sorry. Okay, I have to happening? start that again. I'm so sorry. I have what? to start that again because I almost said, how are you? <laughs> I know it would be so funny. Oh, no, I can't. I can't. <laughs> no, but it's like, it's like, it's, it's also inauthentic since we've been talking for half an hour. But it like came, it came. It's because, yeah, that, that's the normal thing to do in a social interaction is when you first encounter somebody, you say, how are you? I think it's funny. Um, do we, should we be keep like, this? Maybe we should keep this. Maybe this could be at the um. End, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Know, like okay. a blooper. Okay.